Hello and welcome to Bread. We're a newish, spirit-filled, non-denominational church meeting in the Los Feliz area of Los Angeles, or we hope to be again sometime soon. Everything we do as a church is, as with most of the rest of life, currently happening online. Our current teaching series is on prayer, and we're basing the talk each week on one line of the Lord's Prayer in Matthew. Prayer is a somewhat basic tenet of a relationship with the divine, isn't it? But in that a lot of us are aware of our own needs and limitations in whole new ways right now, not to mention the needs of our city, our nation and our world, we thought this might be a good time to look in depth at what Jesus meant when he said, this is how you should pray. We hope you enjoy it. We are starting a new series this week, which is very exciting. We are um, looking at, over the coming weeks, prayer. And specifically, um, we're working through Matthew's Gospel's version of the Lord's Prayer. As is customary, we're starting at the beginning. And today it's, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Now, I know that for many people, prayer can feel like one of the least sexy parts of the Christian life. We've just finished a series on Jesus' miraculous power, raising people from the dead, uh, a miraculous catch of fish, feeding 5,000 people. That's sexy time in the Christian life, but prayer, a bit like reading the Bible, a bit like acts of service or fasting, can feel much more like a chore and a slog. It's a bit like having to empty the trash or clean the toilet bowl. You know it's got to be done. Someone's got to do it and it's got to be you. You don't want to do it, you keep putting off doing it, you know that you will not enjoy it whilst it's happening. And even when you get to the end and you've done it, and you think, I'm glad I've done that, you'll still go through the same sort of torture and uh, procrastination of rallying yourself to do it in the first place. And you might think, maybe if I wait long enough, my wife will do it, because she'll be so disgusted and then I won't have to. Prayer for many, not very sexy, a bit like a chore. It's often described as a discipline, a spiritual discipline, and discipline is a word that doesn't conjure up thoughts of joy and freedom and wonder and sexiness. That's the last time I will use the word sexy, just so you know, so you can relax. Hi, Mum. So, let me say at the outset, I'm not immune at all from this. I actually regularly feel like, do I really want to pray? I think this is going to be hard work. Do I even believe that it actually works? Why am I doing this? And I'm a pastor. I'm actually paid to pray. So also let me say that anyone who says anything different in my experience that prayer is always a joy and they can't wait to do some more praying just isn't telling the truth. Because if you read through any of the uh, church heroes, any of those faith-filled people down the centuries, they will all actually talk about not just the mysteries of prayer, but also the difficulties and the struggles of prayer. As Paul says, actually, none of us really knows how to pray. We needed the Spirit to help us because we are weak people. And when Jesus castigates Simon and the other disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane because they've fallen asleep when he wants them to watch and pray with him, he says to them, could you not just stay awake for one hour in the middle of the night and pray with me? And I think the answer is, well, no, Jesus is actually really difficult. I'm really tired. Can't do this as Jesus actually uh, admits of himself, but I think probably more accurately of us, our spirits may be willing, but our flesh is weak. Prayer can be quite difficult. And so I think this is an encouragement for any of us feeling like prayer is actually difficult, then welcome to the club. It's true that we all find it difficult from time to time. But that said, whilst I don't think prayer for anyone is always um, completely and fully without doubt 
a joy, if it's never a joy, or if it hasn't been a joy for a long time, then I think something isn't quite working properly. Fixing what isn't working properly is, though, very simple, and this is the great news. By simply reminding ourselves, um, or even coming to understand for the first time, if we've never actually really known this, what Jesus, as opposed to anyone else, thinks and understands by prayer, then this world of life-giving, uh, circumstance-transforming, joy-bringing prayer can be opened up to us again or for the first time. And let's be honest, right now, firstly, what else are we going to do? There's nothing else to do with our time, we might as well do some praying. And secondly, between life-threatening wildfires, economic recession, political division, racial reckoning, mental and physical health epidemics, it's not like there aren't quite a lot of things for us to be praying about, both for ourselves and for other people. So, without much further ado, here is Jesus' teaching on prayer from the middle of his Sermon on the Mount, from Matthew chapter 6, and this is read by Keaton. Matthew 6, 5 through 13. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. All right. Thank you very much, Keaton. Excellent sign-off. Now, you may have seen that at the beginning of the pandemic, how to pray became one of the most Googled phrases. Nothing like an impending apocalypse to get us all on our knees in prayer. However, um, the trend may be kind of generally downward in prayer, but actually um, a huge number of people always pray. In fact, something like 85% of Americans pray very regularly. But I was researching this and what struck me most was what happens when it comes to atheists and agnostics. Nearly 20% of atheists and agnostics, those who don't actually necessarily believe that God even exists or definitely believe that God does not exist, 20% will admit to praying at least semi-regularly. And 6% of atheists and agnostics admit to praying every single day. So given all that, the concern for Jesus is not so much whether we will pray, we will, but whether we will pray in the right way. Are we praying correctly? Here's a very quick test. Now, I'm going to skip over the hypocrites bit who basically pray in order to um, impress other people because these days, one, I don't think there's much of a market for that. I don't think many people are impressed by people who pray a lot. Maybe they are. Um, and if they are, I don't know, um, please introduce me. But secondly, we're in lockdown. Even if there are people who are impressed um, by praying, we can't do it because we're stuck at home unless we create some sort of TikTok um, 
hypocritical prayer thing. Not a great idea. So let's move on instead to the babblers. Are you a babbler like the pagans? Now, um, Jesus means by pagan here not what we might understand as sort of godless people, but actually people who pray to either one or many of the pantheon of pagan gods. And the fundamental problem with the pagans is not, though, their babbling or their use of many words. Those are actually, the babbling and the use of many words, symptoms of a deeper problem. The deeper problem is this, verse 7. The pagans think they will be heard because of their many words. So the problem is this. Being heard is not guaranteed. And because it's not guaranteed, the pagans babble and use many words. The Greek word for babble actually means empty words, sort of those devoid of warmth or um, meaning, without any sort of belief. They can be cold and harsh, snide even, repeated over and over again. And the Greek word for many, from the many words bit, actually essentially means with anxiety or with guilt. In the same way that when people are anxious they can start talking a lot, they can also do that when they feel guilty. It's a way in which we cover up those negative emotions, just talking, thinking that that will help. And so it is with pagan prayer. Because if having the ear of God is not a guarantee, it's almost inevitable that our prayer will either become cold and indifferent and even angry and aggressive, or anxious and guilty, or perhaps both at the same time. I'm sure you will never have done this. Let me just tell you about me, you won't have done this. But now and again, when I've felt like I've been praying uh, for a while and I just don't think God is hearing me, I've been praying maybe the same th for the same thing, I can become increasingly like, well, I'm going to just carry on praying very angrily and to, to be quite actually without warmth and, and familiarity, to become quite cold with God. And similarly, um, if there's something that I've been praying for and, and it doesn't feel like I, I'm being listened to or anything's happening, I can also think now and again, it's me, isn't it? There's something wrong with me. I must have been disregarded by God. Perhaps he's just left me once and for all because of all the ways in which I, he lets us just acknowledge my life is a bit of a mess and I can feel guilty. I think I've got to fix something before I can actually talk to God again. Welcome, Jesus says, to pagan prayer. On the one hand, empty, cold or angry, and on the other, anxious and guilt-ridden, sometimes both at the same time. Jesus, though, his model of prayer, by contrast, is very, very different. And this is the glorious news. Jesus says, do not be like that, and do not be like that because you don't need to be like that. Because when it comes to prayer, that is not what is going on. Verse 8, rather, do not be like them, says Jesus, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This is the end to all our coldness or indifference or anger even in prayer. This is the end to all our anxiety and guiltiness or nervousness when it comes to prayer. Because your Father knows what you need before you ask him. And the key word, of course, here is Father. Verse 9, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. So I want to explain what 
two elements of calling God Father includes and means. The first one is probably the one in, with which we are most familiar. It's about warmth and intimacy and kindness. Jesus, of course, describes God as Abba, uh, a word that's difficult to translate, but ha has some sort of meaning similar to daddy, or even uh, as babies might say who can't fully um, form words yet, da-da-da. There is a sort of um, base level of intimacy and warmth and kindness. It speaks of this sort of wondrous familial uh, attitude we are to have between us and God. Now, when my children were a bit younger, uh, and before COVID, and actually when we were living in London, I used to come back, having been at the office all day, and walk in the door, and they would rush towards me because um, for some reason they liked me, and uh, they would kind of cling to me and ask me things, and I would get one attached to one leg and another attached to another leg, and they would sort of um, uh, be saying, hey, Daddy, can I have this, can I have this, because they didn't have any um, feeling that they needed to pretend to be anything other than my children, and it was wonderful. But consider something even more intimate, that as the key goes in the door, the father doesn't just wait for the children to come and cling to him and ask him for things, but actually gets right down to their level, crouches down in the doorway, looking them in the eye, holding his arms open, allowing them to rush to him, and then picking them up and holding them above his head and saying, what, how, what can I do for you? I've missed you. Tell me about everything. To be completely connected, without distraction, without anything better to do in the world than to spend time with his children. This is kind of close to the picture that Jesus wants us to understand when it comes to the intimacy that we're supposed to have with God our Father. It's the one that he enjoys himself. His Father is now our Father. His relationship with his God is now ours with that same God, our Father. We are adopted and knitted in. It's like we fully belong because we do fully belong. Now, of course, and I've said this before, our relationship with God is supposed to be a deeply intimate one, but that doesn't mean it needs to be an infantile one. We don't need to call Dad um, God Daddy because we're not babies, uh, so let's not do it. But also, and this is a more important point, all human categories will inevitably be found wanting in some way when it comes to talk of God. We just don't have the language or the pictures to fully and accurately describe him. And Jesus encourages us to approach God as a father, not because God resembles earthly fathers, but rather that uh, earthly fathers, when they are at their absolute loving best, do at least resemble something of what God the Father is like. So whatever the song may suggest, God is not a good, good Father. It's not who he is, who he is, who he is. He is so much more than that. He is God. And this is an important point for all of us for whom our earthly fathers or earthly father figures have been anything other than good whether it's been actually actively and intentionally unkind or evil towards us or simply just negligent or absent in emotion or in person. God is nothing like these men. Now, 
my father was not unkind, but he was quite absent. And so when I heard talk of God being like a father, it was hard not to think, well, God is like my father, that's the one I know best. And therefore, is he actually much more interested in other people than me? Is he uh, got better things to be doing than spending time with me? But it's for this reason that the Bible actually gives us so many more other pictures for, to describe our relationship to God. He is also a friend, of course, and a lover. And in Isaiah, he's described as a mother who will not forget the baby at her breast, who has inscribed the names of his children on his hands. These are all there to help us to relate to God as he actually is, rather than uh, in ways that help us, uh, that actually distance us from him. And I think this is one of the most important things, to have any hope for a fruitful prayer life. It is going to be vital for us to rid ourselves and to be actually quite aggressive in ridding ourselves of pictures of God that stop us feeling safe with him, that stop us wanting to approach him. For instance, lots of people uh, have this sort of internal picture of God as this sort of bearded old man sitting up in his throne, mercilessly recording our defects, basically being um, angry or displeased or just busy with other things uh, most of the time. Now, who is going to want to talk to a God like that? No one wants to tap on that man's study and walk in and say, can we have a chat? But any picture of God that looks like that and this is the important point, Jesus says, that's a pagan God. That is not the God of Abraham, Isaac, and, Joseph, and Jacob. And it's not Jesus' God, and it's not the real God. So let's take Jesus at his word. We do not need to ever question whether God's face is inclined towards us. He is waiting for us, patiently, longingly, expectantly, hoping for us to connect again with him. We're his children whom he loves, who after all, and this is ridiculous, isn't it? He gave his life up for us. God did. And for us, this whole creation, the wonder of it, which I know is kind of groaning and in, in dire straits right now, but it's still glorious and beautiful. This whole thing was for us. We're described as the pinnacle of God's creation. Wouldn't a father, the father of it all, want to enjoy it with his children and to behave in kindness towards his dearly beloved? So we are part of his family and he calls us home to him. So it befits us and it actually really benefits us. It helps us develop a proper relationship with God. If we could actually just accept that, to put our feet up on the furniture, to open the fridge and to drink straight from the orange juice carton, to behave like people who know that they are home with their God. Secondly, uh, God is not just um, our Father in an intimate, kind way. He is also our Father as a deliverer. Now, in the Old Testament, there are relatively few references to God as Father. In fact, I think there's something like um, half a million words in the whole Old Testament, and only 15 of them refer to God like a Father. Then when we get to the New Testament, there's this sort of explosion of Father language 170 times just in the first four Gospels. Why that is, we'll come on to in a minute. But, nevertheless, there are instances in the Old Testament, and the first and most important one is when God speaks to Moses about uh, what he wants him to say to Pharaoh uh, in terms of letting 
the Israelite people go from slavery. This is Exodus 4, 23. Then say to Pharaoh, this is God speaking to Moses, this is what the Lord says. Israel is my firstborn son, and I told you, let my son go so he may worship me. So for Israel to call God father is to hold out the hope of liberty, of freedom. The slaves were now to be called sons. And so when Jesus uh, uses this term father and uses it over and over again, for those his audience steeped in Jewish tradition, for anyone with ears to hear, it is clear what he is saying. He is saying that there is a new exodus coming, a new freedom to be had. The very first word of the Lord's Prayer in the original language is Father. It's not our, our comes after Father. And this is setting the tone for the whole thing. It's saying it's not just about intimacy and, and uh, familial connection, although of course it is. It is about hope and revolution. The Jewish people had been clinging on to the hope, the hope of deliverance for centuries. Through every setback, through every foreign invasion, through every foreign exile, right up to their current experience of Roman rule, still, nevertheless, a remnant was there holding out hope for deliverance. That once again, their God would be their father, would be their deliverer. And through his son, the kingly Messiah, they would be set free once more to be his children again. So this kind of explosion of the term father used in the Gospels and throughout the New Testament and by Jesus particularly, 170 times as I said, is really a way of communicating in short the whole manifesto of Jesus. That God is father to his people once more and that the kingdom of God is at hand. Heaven has come to earth. Deliverance is here. So what does that mean to us right now? Well, it means this, of course, that one, we are not just praying to a father who is kind and loving, but that we are also praying to a father who is powerful and on the move, but also much more than that. More than that, because when Jesus says, follow me in praying like this, this is about him saying, follow me in partnering in my mission for the kingdom of God with my father. Paul actually describes us as collaborators with God when we pray, and that is exactly what we are. And this means that calling God Father is actually a great act of faith. It is risky and it is bold. Uh, pope Francis, the current Pope, my favourite of all the Popes. I don't know much about them, but he's my favourite. I hope he is yours too. He's a very good Pope. I think we can all agree, or at least I think we should all agree. Even if you don't, that's not the point. He did say something very good about prayer, which was this. The entire mystery of Christian prayer is summed up in this word. To have the courage to call God by the name of Father. Pope Francis is right, it's exactly the right word, and it's actually a kind of twofold courage. Because it isn't just about the boldness or the kind of cheek, really, of walking into the presence of the living almighty God and saying, hey dad, have you missed me? The answer to which is always, yes, he has. It isn't just that, although of course it is that and that is vital, but it is also the boldness and the risk 
really of praying Jesus' prayer after him and by, do so, by doing so effectively asking, petitioning God, demanding of God for him to include us with Jesus in the apprenticeship of his kingdom mission. When we are praying our Father, we're praying for the whole world to be freed from injustice and disfigurement and sin and death. We're praying for God's heaven to come to God's earth. It's about us standing really in the presence of the pain of this world. And as I'm sure we're aware, it's not hard to see the presence of the pain right now in everything that's going on in this country. But it's standing there in the presence of this pain of this world, whilst also kneeling in the presence of Almighty God, the creator of this world, and asking that the two would be joined through Jesus' glorious death and resurrection. We're saying to our Father, and when we say our Father who is in heaven, what we're not talking about is God being in some sort of geographical celestial place just past Pluto. There's harps, there's clouds, there's things like that. That is not the biblical understanding of heaven at all. It's about saying God who is heavenly, who is full of peace and justice and mercy and goodness and life and freedom. It's saying, would you bring your heaven to your earth? As I said, this, though, whilst it's bold and risky, is where prayer stops being dutiful and dull and starts being exciting and with the whiff of revolution to it. It starts being incredibly powerful. Do you know who it is who sees people physically healed? Just as Hannah uh, was praying for someone a few weeks ago that we talked about last week. The people who see people healed are not the theologically trained, they are not the spiritually mature, they are not the morally upright, although they can be all of those things. The people who see people physically healed are the people who take seriously the Lord's Prayer, who understand it, and they are the people who pray it, who pray for healing over and over and over again. Um, just this week, we have our prayer meeting every Wednesday. Please join us if you've never done so. It's great. Five o'clock Wednesday, all the details are on uh, the website. You can join us on Zoom anytime. Great to have you. But we have been praying, as you do in a prayer meeting. And a couple of, uh, actually probably I think last week, uh, Brandon, who some of you know, a lovely, lovely man, a great man, uh, and a man of faith, um, prayed sort of out of nowhere, uh, pray for a building for um, the church because we need a building. Now, I say out of nowhere because we hadn't really talked about it for a while, but actually it's something that I talk about a lot. Um, and I feel like I'm a sort of um, uh, dog with a bone about it. I can't stop. But anyway, it was, it was slightly weird to me because I felt like it hadn't really, um, we hadn't really talked about it. But he prayed this. And then on uh, Monday night, I had a very sleepless night. But it wasn't a sort of sleepless night where um, you're agitated. I was just actually at peace. And I felt like God saying, uh, reminding me of Brandon's prayer. So I prayed as well. God provide us with a building because I think we're not going to be able to go back to the school. And we need a building at some point when we're ready to meet in person. Um, the next morning, 
I got an email from someone I have met once and I've only actually ever met them on Zoom, no, never in person, he's a church leader. And he was forwarding an email from another church leader who was forwarding another email from another church leader. Um, who, and it was about three or four people on this chain, none of whom I'd ever met before, but it ended up at my door saying, there's this church close to you looking for someone to rent their building. So I got in touch and then on Friday we had a conversation on the phone with the people and they were basically saying, yeah, we'd love to rent the building to you, come and have a look at it, going to come have a look at it on Monday. Now, I'm trying not to get too excited because actually what I felt God saying more than anything was, see, I will provide. It may be that nothing comes of this building, but what I noticed was God's uh, kindness and his provision that when uh, Brandon started praying for this, um, we saw God working and acting. And if this building um, turns up and it is what we uh, are given and we can use it, that will be a lot of to do with Brandon praying that prayer, which is all to encourage us. Let us be a church that prays. Let's be a church that prays to the God who is our Father, our kind and loving Father, and our, to the God who is our Father, the Deliverer, who delivers things for us, for goodness. When we think about what's going on in this country right now, our prayers are vital, as they always are, but particularly right now, as Hannah has been praying for the wildfires, let us do the same. I'm going to end here, but this is what I want to encourage us with. If we find it difficult to believe that God is someone kind who we can approach and who will always listen to us, who is interested in us, can you just ask God by his spirit to meet you where you are now? Just as Ben plays this song, to allow him to show you his kindness, that he cares about you. And if you find it difficult to believe that God wants to deliver his people, that he wants to bring goodness out of darkness, can I encourage you as the song is playing to ask the Spirit to fill you again with the knowledge of God's power and majesty, to do extraordinary things. The more we pray, the more we will see God's kingdom come. Let us be faithful prayers. Amen. Great to have you with us. Hope you have a lovely weekend and we'll see you hopefully very soon. God bless. the sun to rise and bring the earth new life in every beam Jesus it is you who turns the day to night and watches me as I begin to dream Jesus it is you who brings me food for my table Who cares for all of my needs Who walks the road with me Has grown with me through all that I have been Jesus, it is you Jesus
Jesus, it is you. So I lift my hands and I bring my song. All of my days, all of my rights, and all of my wrongs, I offer my Jesus, it is you.